0: I'd like today in the split sermon time here to introduce a term, I think it's a term with which we're familiar, but it's a, it's a term that we see translated into the English, and it comes from the, the Hebrew word shebet, uh, S-H-E-B-E-T, uh, not sherbet, uh, sherbet, uh, S-H-E-R-B-E-T, and not sherbert, which some, which some people say, which is not a word. If there are any of you sherbert people out there, uh, uh, every now and then I get something right when I'm when I'm speaking in the English language, and I and I'm pretty confident that I'm right that sherbert is is not a not a word. But anyway, check check it up on that. But uh, but anyway, this is shebet. I think I'm saying that, pronouncing that correctly. Hebrew shebet. Uh, there's also a, another word that is sometimes translated into English that. Uh, in, into this same English word that we'll, we'll talk about today. And that's the Hebrew, uh, mate, or sometimes mata, mata, and also the Greek word rabdos, R-H-A-B-D-O-S, when we see it in the New Testament. This, uh, this particular word is, uh, scattered, uh, throughout the God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And we'll hit some of those uh, today. And I really enjoyed uh, studying this. And I'll talk about how, what triggered this study uh, here in just a bit. But it, it provides insight on a variety of things. One, the role of God the Father uh, and the role of Jesus Christ with the world uh, down through history, and uh, what's going to happen prophetically. It's also uh, going. It also talks about there. It, it describes in some aspects, their role in leading us in our lives now, Uh, the role of various offices in the church from time to time, our role as parents uh, from time to time, and actually quite often. And also, as we look at this word, it also helps us understand a little bit better how we should view uh, view the term and also respond to it in action my interest in this topic uh, came as a result of reading a book uh, titled parenting by the book by john uh, rosemond he's a psychologist that's uh, written quite a bit uh, especially in the areas of parenting and uh, today's uh, today's topic will not get into parenting as much when i when i cover part 2 of this and that's the neat thing about a split sermon and if it's a part two, I can quit when I need to quit so I'm hopefully going to be able to do that I've got my stopwatch going but we'll we'll get into parenting a bit more with respect uh, to this 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 term uh, here uh, next week maybe just briefly uh, skirt the issue here today but I'll mainly skirt the issue instead of uh, dealing with it. But we'll spend more time um, addressing, I guess, what we would consider the larger application of the topic before we get into the, the parenting aspect, or, or should I say the implement, because it, uh, the term that I'm discussing today is an implement. And that term is, in English, often translated the rod R O D, the rod. Uh, if we think about parenting what's what 's that one phrase uh, spare the rod and uh, we I think most of us can can uh, finish that uh, you spoil the child that 's actually uh, taken from a, a passage which we 'll probably cover next time february tenth i believe when when I give this uh, the second part but we'll we 'll take a look at that today and and i would I, I would ask uh, us to to uh, even though it's, it's one of those things where we're just, we're just taking a word, and what, what implication does that word have with us? The, some of you are ahead of me when we start thinking about the, the rod and different ways that that is used. Uh, some of these things that we, I've already talked about, you're, you're there with that. But let's look at it today, and, and hopefully we can find some insights that are applicable to our lives. This first one is, is I guess, a smaller point. We're just barely going to touch this. Uh, with the next point, and we'll put up a graphic on the next point. We won't on this one. But let's go to this, this passage, where one, uh, one term where we see it translated in English, uh, rod. It's in Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Uh, Revelation 11, uh, verse 1 actually, and Revelation 11 is talking about the events that are going on during the Great Tribulation when the beast power has come and and settled between the the two bodies of water there at, at Jerusalem. And bodies of water, meaning uh, all, the, all the way out to the, the, the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea, is one. And, and here, here they are: uh, the beast and false prophet there at uh, Jerusalem, and and uh, ruling there uh, prior to the return of Christ. And we see the two witnesses coming on the scene uh, as well. And, and it appears that they are there in that area, and. These two are going back and forth and, and both are given both sets, uh, the beast and false prophet and, and the the two witnesses are, are given incredible powers. One, uh, one side comes from the powers of Satan, the devil, that God allows them to use. And, and the other, uh, the others, uh, in terms of the two witnesses, are are using the powers of God to to preach the gospel at their time. But here's that term. Again, we'll just touch on this. He says in verse one, he said, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angels uh, stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple and and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and and the Gentiles here. They will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, 42 months, uh, three and a half years. Three hundred. Uh, so all, all those those days uh, during that three and a half year period. So this this term measuring rod here, uh, it's it's a it's like a measuring rod. And, and those of you that are uh, involved with uh, land. Land matters, we know we, that term rod is, is still used to this day. Uh, the rod is a unit of measure, a, a unit of measurement to measure the length of land. And I believe uh, a rod in, in measurement terms is 5.5, five and a half yards or 16.5 uh, feet. So they measure in terms of, of rods. And, and and through that, uh, through the use of rods, uh, one of the the various aspects of it, which we'll touch on a bit later in in a later message, is it's it's used to ensure that measurements are consistent and true. And in this case, it's given they're they're using this this reed that is like a measuring rod to exactly measure this area that uh, is is. Uh, is measuring the temple of God the altar and those who worship there, so uh, we 'll leave that s- subject and get to the next one let 's uh, go ahead and, and if I could have mr. Mr. Morris go ahead and put that up there uh, let 's go let 's go now to the book of judges, which which uh, w- we now get into something that I think especially has some impact. Uh, for us and the world uh, to some degree. With Vine's uh, expository of Old Testament, New Testament words uh, in the Septuagint, they, they mentioned that uh, this is uh, sometimes translated here, rod. Let's, uh, let's look at what this, this rod does. Judges 6, verse 11. Judges 6 verse 11. This is the time of, of Gideon. Uh, Midianites were oppressing Israel, and and Gideon was was managing uh, wheat and the grain and all that in, in a wine press because the, the the Midianites were so plaguing the area. Whatever the Israelites did, they so dominated. They just came in and took took their food as 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 it was uh, being uh, prepared for the, the next phase of you know turning bread and all all these kinds of things. So uh, let's read it here in Judges six verse eleven. Now the angel of the Lord uh, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, uh, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from uh, the Midianites. So, as we look at this this uh, this rod, as you can see there, you've got the rod, you've got the leather strap, and and then uh, what hangs from it is is what you would take and and thresh thresh the wheat, thresh thresh that to to break the the grains off. Of the sheaves, sheaves, and also uh, in, in the process, we we end up getting chaff from that. So he he was he was there at the wine press. He wasn't at the threshing floor, which would would be an area of a nice smooth uh, smooth area with a, a nice and smooth and flat, so uh, it, it can handle the the threshing that takes place and. And the the pounding, and then easily scooped up and taken, and and taken to that next phase of, of harvesting. So here he was in uh, in this at this wine press doing that. Was they wouldn't be thinking about that happening there? Maybe it was not the time to be harvesting the grapes. So he was hiding out and and taking care of of, of doing that there. Now with this threshing that takes place, as you can imagine. If if I've got one hand down at the bottom, let's see, I, I hit this way. So uh, if I have one hand down at the bottom and one hand up at the top, and I whip that thing and come down on that, that's going to hurt a little bit. That, that's got some force coming down to come down and pop that, uh, pop the wheat that you have to be able to knock all of that off. Now uh, often they would use. Uh, Oxen to to tread that and, and oxen tend to weigh a little bit so they they would they would tread that and and knock the grain off to where they can separate the the what was usable from from what wasn't usable. Let's look at uh, Ruth 2. But in some cases they 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 manually did that themselves. They didn't use oxen uh, for that. They they beat it themselves. We see that happening in the Book of Ruth. Ruth had committed herself and her life to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she was in the process of gleaning. As, as, as we know how that worked, the, the poor were able to uh, go to the corners of the fields, and as, as the, the landowners were, were not permitted to, to harvest the corners of the field, those were for the poor to be able to gather and, and, uh, and use that so they would have something to eat. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Ruth uh, 2, verse 17, Ruth 2, verse 17, so she gleaned in the field, she gathered it in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, she was, she was using one of these likely, this, 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 I guess, we would call it. Uh, it, it was called a, a a threshing stick, but it was also called a flail. You know, you think of the verb to flail somebody. You, you could flail somebody with with one of those, uh, and you you flailed the 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 wheat to to create that situation, and 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 it's separated. Let's go to Matthew three now. Matthew three. as we we get to a a New Testament application of this, Matthew 3, verse 11, of this type of, if we use the generalized term, this type of of rod. Matthew 3, verse 11, we've got John the Baptist here who's uh, interacting with those that are coming to be baptized, and there were... Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted to come and be baptized as well, and he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance, uh, uh, tying in with with what uh, Mr. Jones had said in the earlier message. And then, then coming down to verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, uh, we, we understand in this principle here, you know, some the, uh, the Pentecostals will say the first coming of, of what baptism and the first coming is what is receiving the Holy Spirit, but the, the second coming, in a sense, the second coming of the Holy Spirit is when it comes and fire is, is on your heads, so to speak, and you're able to speak in tongues. Uh, but uh, he's not talking about that kind of fire as, as is evidenced by the very next verse which gets to uh, our, our the subject of what we're discussing today. His winnowing fan, and the winnowing fan uh, is, if, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, not having uh, worked at a threshing floor, but that, that is beaten down, uh, beaten out, either tread, again, by the, the oxen or, or beaten down by hand, and then uh, a, a, a fan or almost like a, a pitchfork kind of thing that you you. you go under that and lift and then lift it up in the air and and throw that up and then the chaff is blown away by the wind and what's left is the grain that comes down so we've got the threshing first the pounding that uh, that separates it and and then then the the winnowing fan which which lifts lifts it up and the chaff blows away and notice what he says next so his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly Clean out his threshing floor. He'll get uh, all of those grains, all of the grain that is good, all the grain that is useful. He's going to gather that up. And what does he do with that? He gathers his wheat into the barn. But he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, that that's the uh, baptized with uh, the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I don't want to be baptized in that way, with the unquenchable fire that gets me burned very badly to where I'm not waking up again uh, for eternity. I'm dead, very, very dead, in the second death, uh, ultimately. So, so this this threshing floor uh, as as we think about our lives this is this is one analogy uh, in a sense of of what we go through in terms of what we experience in life uh, god is is working with the grain and there's also chaff there's also chaff uh, that that he talks about in other places that are, that are there with him. And there's one place where, you know, you've got wheat and tares. And, and he's going to divide that out in time. But in this case, he's talking about the wheat and the chaff. And we understand what the wheat is and what the chaff is. The chaff is something that's useless, that, that is not productive. It's not the fruit of, of that harvest, as uh, Mr. Jones Uh, was talking about so many analogies in god's word that talk about this kind of thing uh, agrarian type analogies other analogies that that show a a separating and in this case it's a separating by by being pummeled and uh, i i think we we understand the analogy this way of life is not easy this way of life, and several of us just this past year have have experienced certain things where we've gone we've gone through the threshing floor, and we've experienced the the wallop of of the kind of uh, torque that you can get on something like that, and and it's painful and and it's challenging, but God in doing that is separating the the, the wheat from the chaff and and we need that we need that you and i need that we always say god please be merciful to me please please be gentle with me you know what i can can take but you know what you want from me because i am yours so do what you need to do, and I, I realize that I'm going to be on the threshing floor uh, sometimes in life, and that's that's the nature of this life. Jesus Christ was on the threshing floor as he was uh, as as he was giving his life, and as he walked this earth, he went through incredible challenges. But think think about all all those kinds of analogies that are there. We've got the, let's go to uh, Amos nine. Let's go to Amos nine and read this passage. as we know the 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 holy days the the festival plan is is centered centered on it's it's described in in scripture and and applied through the various harvests that that take place yearly in in the middle east and 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 with that we, we see many agrarian analogies we through the through the feast days we understand the plan of god and and we understand also uh, certain aspects through through these prophecies of what god is doing with his people physical in, israel for instance we've got uh, israel itself as as we read uh, the the old testament prophecies uh, major prophets and minor prophets they're talking about all of uh, Israel uh, the northern tribes being taken into captivity here they are uh, taken into captivity there uh, that happens in the early 700s BC the the latter uh, captivity happened for uh, Judah in the 590s and then ultimately the, with the fall of Jerusalem in the 5 mid 580s 586 or so and and uh, the the Jews of the time the southern kingdom they're taken to Babylon uh, there are a few that that are there with Jeremiah. Very few there in the land, but Israel. Some what is it? One hundred thirty years, one hundred forty years, one hundred thirty-five, thirty-six years earlier. They are they they have been moved out, and then they're they're out. They're in the Caucasus Mountains, and then we don't really hear of them again in in Scripture, so to speak, of of a big mass of people. But here they are. They're they're out there. They're 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 gone uh, from from. In terms of what we see going on in Scripture, let's look here at Amos, Amos 9 9. Amos 9 9. When we think about physical Israel, United States and uh, Britain and the Commonwealth in prophecy, and, and what, what we understand through that, the implications of this statement here. Amos 9. I've said it about six times and never turned there Well, all of you are there. Okay. Amos 9. I'm not going to say it again. I'm just going to read it. Here we go. Uh, For surely. For surely I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel. I will sift the house of Israel among all the nations. I will sift it as grain is sifted in a sieve. So you know we've got this this situation that we just read of the threshing that takes place. So here here's another analogy, another analogy of of being sifted through a sieve, and and as as everything is sifted through the sieve. Uh, it's saying uh, they're sifted among all these nations as as grain is sifted in a sift. He says, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground uh, of the house of Israel. God knows. He knows the promises that he made to physical Israel. He knows the, the, uh, the covenant that he made with them. He knows his plan for what he's going to do with Israel to, to restore Israel. Uh, both Israel, the northern tribes, and Judah, when He's going to begin uh, with, with Christ's reign on the earth and, and gather Israel and bring them back and use them as a model nation to work with all the other nations and bring all of mankind into uh, His family. Ultimately, this this wonderful plan that God has. But but we, even when we think of of Israel, they will be sifted. They will be sifted among the nation. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. He. He is aware of all of them. All of the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say uh, the calamity shall not overtake nor, nor confront us. And then he goes through, we won't read this, but verses 11 through 15 he talks about what will happen. In the future, and ultimately, he brings them back; those who have survived this the the cataclysmic events that happen uh, leading up to the return of Christ. He brings them back as they've been sifted out there among the nations. We uh, we see the the situation for us as spiritual Israel now. Uh, just as we we read in Matthew, the there is a there is a a, a sifting as we as we think about just think about the church the last 60 years the the sifting that's taken place where where are uh, so many of these people uh, what what happened uh, to them why why are the numbers where they are when we had what 150 160,000 with children included uh, however many we had back in back in the 80s and down through the ages the, the massive numbers that that came into the faith uh, during uh, after christ's ministry and with the the work that the the apostles did as they went throughout uh, the the Roman Empire uh, all of, where, where where did a lot of these these go what what process do do uh, what what process happens uh to god 's people there there is there is sifting that takes place uh, are 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 we the ones uh, that that even as we, as we see what's happened in, in, our, in our lifetimes of, of the folks that have come and gone, uh, are, we that, are we that good grain? Are we the ones that have seen how uh, through the sifting process what, what is truly of value? Uh, again, just another, another one of, uh, of the many analogies. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, we see the refining process. A threshing, a sifting, and now we see a refining process. The scripture is filled with uh, these these kinds of things. In some cases, it's it's uh, the 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 being beaten with the rod. But in, in this case, as Paul Paul says in First Corinthians three, verse eleven. Uh, 1 Corinthians, well, let's go to verse, uh, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's got to be laid on that. It's got to, we, we can't come to God except through Christ and we can't, uh, come to, to, to christ and understand him unless the father draws him as as was brought out in in the split Uh, there is this process it comes through the sacrifice of jesus christ now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it it will be revealed by fire. It will be revealed by uh, the testing that we we face in life, and you know a lot of things are important to us in life, and we're we're working on this and working on this. We've got we've got careers, we've got jobs that we've got to do. We've got all of these things going on in life, but it it we we do our best to try to keep perspective. But I, I just as I think about our audience here and, and some of what some of you have dealt with this past year. Uh, you, you deal with something that that hits you as hard as it does uh, a life changing event it could be a death in the family, a, a huge uh, problem uh, where a person made a really, really bad decision and it infect, affected the whole family. Uh, it, it could be any any number uh, of things, but when something like that happens, we we begin to realize even more crystal in a more crystal clear manner of the, of the the things that are really important in life. I was, I was focusing on this and this and this. And as I look at it, it's wood, it's hay, it's stubble. It's, we have to, we have to occupy ourselves. We have to, we have to work. We have to earn a living. All All of this is important, but it, things like that really help us step back and say, ah, this, this is, this is what's truly important. And, uh, and, and that's another another refining process that God does with us, and it's a good thing. We need that. I, I need that. and I've had that happen in my life. and I again, I ask God to be gentle with me, please be gentle with me. please hopefully you don't have to flail me too much. hopefully uh, I don't have so much wood, hay and stubble. Uh, hopefully i'm I'm seeing that now and'm I'm, and I'm getting rid of the wood hay and stubble and and focusing on the things that are are are, are pure and right, and lasting, as the analogy is here. Uh, Let's continue. Uh, So each, each, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he'll receive a reward. And we find that, that that's part of life, that God gives us this opportunity to go through life to see what is truly of value. Uh, are, Are we approaching our lives in that way? If anyone's work is burned, he'll he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. And I've seen God in in my life sometimes take me through that fire. And and I've seen how he's he's saved me from that. And he's helped me realize what's truly, truly important. Uh, And then he says in verse 16, here's that, that, that gold, silver, precious stones aspect. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? and the Spirit of God dwells in you, don't defile this temple. Don't defile it in any way, for the temple of God is holy. It's the temple that you and I are. Uh, So this refining process that that we we undergo, there's the firing of the pottery, the pottery that has to be malleable and, and shaped as God is shaping us as his Vessels, He's shaping us, and then at some point we're fired. At some point we're thrown into the kiln, and and God is is setting us in in a way uh, that we are His His finished product in this life, uh, as as we've lived our lives and, and grown towards uh, Him. Uh, he's He's setting us in the very end, and we're going through that as He's fashioned us to what He wants us to be. Are we in that? Uh, uh, cooperative process with our master Potter, and, and willing to be fired uh, uh, down the stretch. Paul talks about I've, I've, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure is at hand, as he says in Second Second Timothy. Uh, all these analogies of of. Of what life is about and what we are as an offering, as a as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, and as Paul was eventually a, a dying sacrifice to God. Uh, so, so as we uh, think about this analogy that we we just covered with the threshing that's that's taking place, it's done with a rod, and and God uses uh, that rod to. To determine the two, Jesus Christ knows who are His. We we don't always know that. We look at fruits. We, we strive to to judge by the fruits. We're supposed to uh, judge righteous judgment, uh, but but Christ knows the heart. He knows the the, the motivations behind that, and he will re, he will reveal that in, in his time. We are to judge by the fruits and and allow God to work with us to to. To cause us to be the product that he wants us to be. Whether, whether we're, we're threshed a bit, whether we're refined by fire, uh, whether we're poured out as a drink offering, whatever it is, are, are we participating in that process? Okay. The next, uh, the next point, and this will not be a a slide. I'll, I'll save the rest of my slides for next time. Let's go to another use of the rod. Let's go to uh, Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27, at the end of that book, it talks about tithing. Leviticus 27, verse 32. Let's, Let's actually start in verse 30. Leviticus 27, verse 30. He says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the eternals. It is holy to the eternal. So as as we gain an increase from, if, if we're out in... in in an agrarian society, and, and we're planting, and there is an increase that the tithe, the tenth, is is the Lord's, the, the fruit of the tree. It, it is the tenth is, is the Lord's. It's holy to God. We give that to him. Verse 31, if a man wants to wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or flock, all right, so now we're getting to not not the the agrarian side, and not the agrarian, but not not the plants, but we're talking about animals, our, our herds of, of oxen, our herds of cattle, herds of flock, the sheep, the goats. Uh, he says concerning the tithe of them, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the eternal. What? So you've got the rod that is held out as as they're cor- corralled and they're they're going under the rod. And the tenth one is separated and taken because this one is to the Lord. It, it, it passed under the rod as, as the tenth one. So here we go. Well, let's read it again. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the, or the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the eternal. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. Uh, so it, it was the tenth one. It is to the Lord. He says, uh, and if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord uh, commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. He, he picks the one that is the tenth one, and it is holy to the Lord. Get it, got it, good? We understand that? Uh, so, so let's look at an example of this in Jeremiah 33. I always find uh, this subject fascinating. It's one of those things that we can, we can uh, guess, we can think what what may be the reason for this. And I've, we've talked about it before. I'm sure you've heard messages about this. Is if if we are in the new covenant now and we no longer need sacrifices because the sacrificial system pointed to Jesus Christ. What? Uh, why does? The, the 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 millennial. Why are there so many millennial passages about sacrifices happening again? Uh, Christ will be there. He will be there on his throne in Jerusalem. Uh, but but why would they why would they do that again? And I've I've heard many many thoughts on that. I, I think one uh, God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, is he is he going to? because he wants to establish Israel again and show what he originally intended to do with them and take take mankind through that process, even though Christ is in the role that he is and, and God is giving them a new heart uh, to understand the spirit of the law and follow that, he's still he's still setting this all up to show them what this pointed towards happening, how he designed the Levites to serve in this way and that they are supported through that as they're serving at the temple where, where Jesus Christ is, uh, all of that. Regardless, in the millennium, we see these sacrifices will take place. And let's read it here in Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, verse 13. Well, let's look back at verse 6. Behold, this is millennial, isn't it? Behold, I will bring it health and healing, talking about... Uh, talking about the, the, the land and, and the area there in Jerusalem. He says, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and real, re- reveal to them the abundance of grace and truth. I'll cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel, both northern and, and southern uh, divisions, I'll, I'll cause them to come back, and I'm going to rebuild those places uh, as at the first. I'll cleanse them from all their iniquity which they have sinned against me. I'll pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, <laughs> praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity uh, that I provide for it. He's, he's going to set Israel these, these broken-down, beaten down people that have been scattered throughout the nations. He's bringing them back and using them as a model nation to, to teach all mankind and, and show them the prosperity that he will give them. Uh, so he goes through and says a, a bit more about this. Uh, it's the voice of joy and gladness. So let's now come down to verse 13, Jeremiah 33, verse 13. And in the cities, in the mount, in the, mount, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Jeruda Jeruda. Judah, in Judah, uh, good good word. I'll work on that. Uh, the flocks shall again pass under the hands of him who count them. the The flocks shall again pass under the hands. Of him who counts them, says the Lord, and it's back to that that system again of, of the tithing system that's set, set up. they pass under the rod the, uh, under the one who's counting them, and the tenth one will be gathered let 's go to Ezekiel twenty, Ezekiel twenty, because we're talking about more than just animals here. All of these things are symbolic of what uh, God is going to do with with Israel with the the scattered tribes, uh, the captives that he brings back, and, and, and Judah. Ezekiel 20. Let's start in verse 30. Ezekiel 20, verse 30. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? The spiritual harlotry here, the idol worship. Verse 31, For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with, with all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of you, O house of Israel? As, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What you have in your mind, verse 32, shall never be when you say, you know, we will be like the, the Gentiles, like, like the families in the other countries, serving wood and stone. God says when he thinks about his people and what his intent is for his people, this is very millennial here as he's saying this. Verse 33, he says, as I live, says the Lord God, and he lives, by the way, he lives and he will always live and he has always lived. Surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you, Israel. I'll bring you out from the peoples, and I'm going to gather you out of the countries where you were scattered. I'll do it with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I'll bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there I'll plead my case with you. And I'll do it face to face. Just as I did that with with Israel as, as they left the, the land of Egypt, verse 36 says. I'll plead that case with you just like that. Notice verse 37. I will make you pass under the rod. He brings Israel back. He brings Judah back. And he makes them pass under the rod, in a sense, metaphorically. What, what's he mean by that? I'll make you pass under the rod. What's he meaning by that? He's going to bring them under the rod and declare that they, those, are, those are his. They are the tenth as they, as they go under the rod. They are the tenth and they are his. They are his people. They are the ones that are, he is dedicating as holy to him to serve him. And bring you into the bond of the covenant. This agreement that I made with you, Israel, this agreement that, that has spiritual implications, as Ezekiel, as Jeremiah talks about the new covenant, the writing, the law in their hearts. He's, he's eager to do this. In 30, 38, I'll purge the rebels from among you. I'll get rid of that. Putting that out, the separating the wheat from the chaff, I, I, uh, the, and, and purging the ones that are in the land that should not be there. I'll bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. And you'll know that I'm the Lord. We'll read through verse 44. Verse 39, as for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you as idols. And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name, no more with your gifts and your idols millennial here for on my holy mountain on the mountain height of israel says the lord god there all the house of israel in the land all of them in the land shall serve me there i will accept them and there i will require your your offerings the first fruits your sacrifices together with all your holy things i will accept you not 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 the sacrifices and all that he says i will accept you as a sweet aroma he, he, he will accept the people as, as an offering to him. They, they are living sacrifices now that this, that this great God who has brought them back under the rod and chosen them as his, holy to him. He then begins uh, to work with them and he, he accepts the people as a sweet aroma. When I bring you out from the peoples and I gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered and I'll be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. He says it again. Then you'll know that I am the eternal when I do this thing. When I bring you back into the land of Israel, into the country from which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. God follows through on his promises. Verse 43, and there you shall remember your ways. You'll remember all your doings with which you were defiled. And you'll loathe yourselves in your own sight because of the evils, the, the, the depths of which you recognize, he's saying here, that you have committed as a people. Then you'll know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways. Your wicked uh, ways or according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. They are his. They belong to him. This is what we see happening in the millennium as it begins. He brings all of Israel and they pass under the rod. We see, do we see the imagery there? Do we see the imagery for us as spiritual Israel? God has caused us to pass under the rod. We've been separated to the eternal. We've been distinguished from the world. We've been chosen as a living sacrifice to him. I will accept them, verse 40. We've been gathered from, uh, from the world. We've been brought into the bond of the covenant, and it is a beautiful covenant with which we have been bonded. And God hasn't dealt with us, has he, according to our wicked ways, according to our sins, as we've, as we've turned and repented of those. He's cleaned us up. He's cleansed us, and God accepts us as a sweet aroma, and we serve him because he's caused us to pass under the rod. Part two next time.